Hey everybody, welcome to episode 15 of the Parents and Professors podcast. Here's a quick overview of this episode. We talk about being a graduate student, resiliency, and professionalism. Lastly, any fictional or hypothetical persons, places, or things mentioned in this episode that may bear resemblance to actual persons, places, or things is completely coincidental. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Parents and Professors Podcast. So we wanted to do something a little bit different, especially given that we are moving through a glorious summertime and we have a little bit of a break until the fall semester starts again. Woo-hoo. And the professor in me feels like this is a good time to really think about preparing people for what is to come in the fall. And in this particular case, talking a lot about doctoral students. So I not just graduate of, students. Uh, well, graduate students in general, but okay. doctoral students too, because there's a time where there's a really strict divergence between what a doctoral student is and what a graduate student is. And so it's usually when you get around that point of dissertation, right. you know, so a graduate student is an advanced student who's becoming an expert in their field. A doctoral student is somebody that beyond the expertise is figuring out a way to contribute to the knowledge in a meaningful way. And so I think it's a distinction that people are fine with until they get to the knowledge contribution part. And I can't tell you the number of people. I mean, there are so many people that we know. I mean, I've had relationships ruined for me because people have ruined. said second and third hand what I said about people who were taking too long to finish their dissertation, for example. Yikes. And so it becomes like an identity issue. People get really wrapped up in perfectionism. And they can stall out in their programs completely. I know that for me, one of the things that was very different was I was so competitive and like specifically competitive with you <laughs> because you were my wife at the time. You were on the way to finishing your PhD while having had both of our children as a doctoral student. And so I felt like I had no excuses. My body didn't change. I didn't create <laughs> humans. I just needed to, yeah, like I Big needed to power through. people. <laughs> exactly. Like I just needed to power through. Like I just did things that I think are fun and people came. There was not really any... <laughs> space for me to feel like I shouldn't be working hard. I don't know who I am. It's easy to take it for granted. I never really do. And it's probably why Dr. Strayhorn is the most frequently scholar shouted on our podcast, but it's easy to take for granted the importance of good mentoring and like good role models when you get to that phase. And so I know that one of the things I always took from Strayhorn, even though the way that he goes about his writing is interesting and so whether it's like oh we're gonna get some coffee and we're gonna stay up all night fog lifter, fog lifter. <laughs> <laughs> jinx yeah exactly <laughs> black magic the idea and the work ethic were clear to me it's hey if you want to make progress on this you have to put time in and so when it came time to do my own dissertation writing you remembered like i just get up and i just spend four hours every morning reading and writing on the dissertation and so you slowly kind of see that progress because you're just putting the time in so when we're thinking about graduate students and specifically doctoral students, right? Do you think that this is a programmatic issue or is this a, we have an issue across all of higher education for doctoral students? Because right, students stopping out or being ABD isn't just a one discipline thing. It's not a one school thing. Like this happens, well, almost everywhere. The general stats, I mean, I study doctoral socialization and so it's almost always across fields and disciplines right. around 50% attrition rate. That's a lot. Yeah. And so that means that like half of the people that start it don't finish it. Now, being on the other side and being a faculty member, I can see why. Because there are all these weird pressures. And so this is a rabbit hole that's beyond the scope of this episode. (laughs) 
But I do think that there are some strange pressures that you have when you're trying to keep a graduate program alive where we just take students that aren't ready all the time. We take students at their word about their level of seriousness. We take students at their word oh. about their level of preparation. And so sometimes it's the inputs aren't strong enough. We didn't tell the student like, hey, it would be good if you go work for a couple of years. Or, hey, maybe there's another way for you to demonstrate that you're serious about like scholarly endeavor before you join this program. We kind of take what's on the surface and on the face level and we say, come on in and we'll figure it out when you get here. Well, for 50% of the students, that works. I went into my doctoral program straight from my master's program, which was straight after my bachelor's. And, and I finished on, you know, quote unquote on time, whatever that means, right? Four years and I was done. So how do we create... I think better intake systems maybe. But and then for the students that I don't are here. so I always worry about complimenting you too much. <laughs> but you're exceptional. So in your summers you were working at the Congressional Black Caucus. You had a relationship with the dean of the School of Social Work and Social Policy and Practice where you were doing your master's work. You were a student leader, you were at AKA an undergrad. You had countless people even if I like because I'm very familiar with your chapter you have countless people ahead of you that are doctors, lawyers, PhDs, people who know how to put their head down and grind academically, and they can give you that type of feedback. I have a similar story only in so much as I knew other professors already when I was starting to consider graduate school. So like, you know, scholar shout out Robeson Todd Frazier, scholar shout out Jamal Pender. There were profites of mine and neos of mine that were going through it. And mind you, in different fields, Todd is in communications. Jamal makes new math, but they were doing it. And so I could see, oh, when this person disappears, it's because they're writing. Or, hey, if I want to take this seriously, I need to study as hard as, I mean, Bradley's a neurosurgeon. Like, I need to study as hard as Bradley. Bradley don't know party walks to this day because he was (laughs) like, I want to be a neurosurgeon and I'm focused. So thinking about graduate students, I feel like what I struggle with is some people are always going to think that they're ready or they want to do something until push comes to shove. And then it's whatever the mental blocks are, or maybe it's a capability issue, right? We have students who say they want to be faculty or say they want to be upper admin or say they want to do something. So is it a failure on our part for not appropriately explaining to them what that looks like? Yes, and. Okay. I know that for me, some of the harder lessons that I've learned are about accountability, but that if I were to try to hold people accountable in the ways that I think would be appropriate, if somebody did that to me, I would quit. <laughs> wait a minute, wait. Which is crazy, right? So Hold uh, on. Like, I don't, it might sound confusing. Me. You lost me. So I'll start over from the beginning. I think that what I've seen in my role as a professor on this side of the PhD okay. is there are different types of students, Yes. right? And so like, I was the type of student where I know what I'm here for and I have good guidance. So two of my recommendation writers were Mary Beth Gassman and Sean Harper. Right. Both of them gave me publication opportunities when I was a master's student. Mm-hmm. Both of them still provide support, even if it's like a little bit more from afar to this day, like if something comes up or if something. So I came into the program knowing that, hey, if I want to be, I didn't know at the time that like Perna and Gassman and Harper were, you know, leaders of the field and <laughs> those were my professors as a master's student right but i know what it looked like to be productive i knew what it looked like to spend a lot of time on your work i knew what it looked like to try to write something for publication and 
have it demolished <laughs> lovingly. And so when I got into my program, I was ready to go. I was just looking for opportunities like, hey, if you're not going to give me opportunities, I'll go to another professor. Mm-hmm. And find. So if you remember, I joined that other research team. <laughs> Please don't do that. Listen, to all the grad students listening, can we just take a minor? Like, a, I would like to take a small detour. All right, well, go ahead. So in this same space of working with faculty who are giving you opportunities, putting you on a papers and book projects or whatever it is that they're doing. Everyone doesn't do that, right? Like that's the first thing. So if you are working with a faculty member who's willing to support you and engage with you in that way, like I think there should be like an acknowledgement of that and to recognize the value of that. To then like (laughs) basically like sneak around and be like, no, like it wasn't a sneak around for me. So the difference for me was that I told Strayhorn. Okay. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, I did. So I went to join that psych team and I told him, I was like, oh, hey, just so you know, like, I'll be here for these meetings, but like, I got to go to the other team. And he was like, <laughs> no, you no. won't. <laughs> yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah. But when I see things like that happen, I'm not mad at the idea because it's like, yo, I had a similar idea. Like, if I'm not getting what I want. Okay, I and the emergent literature on mentoring is all about network mentoring. It's. You can't have one-stop shopping. Right. For And so if you want to be a professor, if you want to be a scholarly writer, it's better for you to have multiple avenues to do that and multiple people that are looking at your work. You just have to have some serious conversations about like what that looks like. Now, I know that I would have never done well with somebody telling me what I can and can't do. Like right. It's more of a, hey, here's a suggestion based on what I'm hearing or, yeah. And so Strayhorn made it worth my while because even when he was telling me like nah you need to kill that other stuff he was like i have plenty of work for you to do <laughs> so you don't have time <laughs> to go do yeah you don't have time to go do that because okay, there's so plenty of stuff to do over fair. here that's fair you know and so to me i can think about i was given the space to make some of those mistakes like i wasn't frozen out i wasn't like given like any kind of harsh judgment about how i have to move or who i'm allowed to associate with right i mean even if you think about it and this is beyond the scope too, but there are a lot of professors that have beef with each other. And so if you think of like all the random, like silent and not so silent beefs in the field (laughs) and you start looking at your mentor set and it's like, oh, like this mentor don't really rock with this mentor don't really rock with that, (laughs) right? Like that- Professors are people too. Yeah, but that could be part of what's difficult to navigate. And so think about if people treated us as professors, like some people treat us as co-parents, right? So we work together, we collaborate all the time. But if somebody was like, ooh, if I work with Marjorie, I can't talk to Mike. Oh. Or if I work with Mike, I can't talk to Marjorie. Like, imagine that. And that would make it so much harder to get I mean, things done. Yeah, but you have, like, there are people that have to navigate that. So when we were in Phoenix for AIR, I got to see one of my colleagues that I really rock with. And like, one of the similarities about our situations when we were coming up as doctoral students was when you have a really radiant advisor, you attract haters in a different way. You know, so like, because... Keon McGuire, scholar shout out, is Sean Harper's doctoral student. There are people that are watching him in a different way than they would otherwise. Like if he was doing his PhD at Western Uppercut State. What? You know, I don't want to like say an actual like. I yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you yeah. should do that either. <laughs> Similarly, we were coming up on a strain horn when he was pushing for full professor at Ohio State. All right. And so like the scrutiny that so like even the additional ability and opportunities that we got so me derek todd royale travers straight tree is really leroy it's really strong joey 
none of that happens if he's not shining bright. But then a lot of the meaning that people make of you is difficult too because of like, oh, is this person really a good scholar or is Strayhorn putting them on? Now, is this person really focused? How do I make sense of them? Are they Hollywood? Do they think they're too good for me because they're in these circles and because they're getting to talk to and like navigate in some of these spaces? Because you can take it for granted when you're used to it. You know, like I'm lucky and blessed and I can recognize it that, oh, I can call the former president of ARA on the phone. Oh. Right? <laughs> like well, so an ash, multiple ash presidents, like they're in my cell phone. Right. So bring it back to graduate students, right? And if we're giving advice to current graduate students now, there are a lot of things that you need to navigate. I think who sometimes I feel old. I think what you I, are huh? old. What are you talking er. about? <laughs> see how I did that? I see what you did there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You're still like spring chicken E. <laughs> so I'm gonna th- thank you. We're done with the modifiers. Young ish. <laughs> so I can't stand you. So thinking about graduate students and doctoral students specifically and, and how they navigate their educational space is really interesting to watch because there are things that I see that I'm like, this doesn't make sense because if this is the space that you are choosing to build a career in, then it matters how you engage with other people. And I am. Ooh, you're opening up a different can though, because I think that the rules of engagement are different today. And some of what I hear you saying and not saying, like if I were reading between the lines is there's a certain kind of like softness and like a oh, lack of was... when Students throw around words like gaslighting or I would love if it were, wow, every one of the institutions that most of my friends work at, if I share a story like that with them, they're like, oh, that happened to you? This, 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 this happened to me, right? So you think that the difference is more generational? I wouldn't even call it generational because there's the general thought that everybody has that, you know, whatever generation comes behind you is way softer and has it way easier. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I think that, yeah, yeah, I think it's that this generation in some ways does have it harder because the expectations of for production and all that kind of stuff are much more. Oh, for sure. For sure. But I think that the languages that they use and the lack. So there's so much blame. The students that I've hated working with the most are blamers. So when they're not doing well when they're not getting where they need to be when they're not seeing progress they're blaming everybody else so they're blaming the situation they're blaming their work they're blaming their professors right they're blaming the institution they're blaming racism in the general world as if everybody else doesn't have to deal with those same things and i feel like that culture of blame and like the languages that people use and the logics that people use to blame now are a little bit different And so even when students are dope, I can be like, man, like, really, that's what you think? Well, I've been proposing this in my mind for quite some time. I'm going to hit up our interim dean and share this idea. I think there's a a lack of awareness of the larger system sometimes. And because I'm a policy nerd and I pay attention to these things, I sometimes think, don't you know where you are? Do you not understand your context? Or like, how do you not understand the environment that you're in, wherever that might be. And so sometimes I think- Are you saying all high reds racist, baby? (laughs) 
<laughs> this is America. Uh oh, <laughs> hit that polymath. I just <laughs> like we're having national televised hearings because a group of people were upset that the person they voted for did not win, and there's a whole station that's basically saying, "You're right, he did win." Everybody else is lying. Oh, you're talking about the January 6th hearings? Son, I, because I like to be informed, glued my eyes open and watched like some segments from. That's hard, man. That's like watching Jerry Springer. And it was just like, yo, you are not functioning in the real world. Actually, that's a lie. You are giving people false information so that they're not functioning in the world. Because I don't believe that any of these people actually believe what they're saying. But isn't all of human society and like what sets human beings apart our ability to believe in myths and to organize around them? Listen, if it's about like Thor and... But I mean, Jesus, like, all right, we're Catholic. Cool. You know, hey, stand up there, say these words. It becomes the flesh. Yes, yes. High five Catholics. The body and blood. And... None of those things prevent. Oh, are you just gonna not high five me? Like, you just gonna not? You just what? gonna leave my Catholic <laughs> high five untouched? Oh wow! I had I held that up Sorry. for like twenty seconds. If this was really, I, I be, I'm actually in tears right now. Like, why is his yeah, hand no. up? No, I think that none of those things means that I walk out the door and then storm somebody else's house because like they believe something different. But that's exactly how humankind has functioned and existed forever. Like, hey, so, you believe something different, so I'm going to try to kill you. You believe the crazy shit. Yeah, like, so, yeah. you believe the crazy shit. It feels like a yes and. And in this case, right, so drilling back down into the educational space, no matter what you do, people are going to disagree with you. And so if as a student, you're like not clear on what your goals are and you allow that to sway you, you put yourself at a disadvantage. And so like, hey, I wanted to be... I mean, I was. In fact, sorry. Were you about to pat yourself on the back? A little bit. I wanted to be an administrator. And I knew, here are the steps that I need to take to get there. And like along the way, I've learned a lot about talking to people who not only disagree with me, but are like outright. Hostile. Hostile, racist, sexist, ageist. Like I've dealt with all of those things. It doesn't mean that I, I don't keep doing the work. It means that I have to be intelligent about how I engage in that work. Like, just being mad and angry isn't going to get anything done. Oh, but it was, ooh. See, this is where we switch hats from the parent's hat to the professor's hat. There's plenty of people who are mad and angry for no reason. Or, and in fact, you know what? Being mad and angry is cool because sometimes I get angry. No, you're angry all the time. I, <laughs> you're, the you are the Hulk. Like, <laughs> like, you don't have to get angry if you stay angry. Uh, true. And using that to engage in behaviors to make a difference and to change the systems that I exist in. It doesn't just mean that, like, oh my God, how dare you? And then like, I'm just going to go complain. Nah, so you have a unique talent and I've talked about it before, like both in public, like, oh, you know, happy birthday posts and stuff like that. But you're one of the few people that I know that has a unique talent for going from bitching and moaning and complaining to action. You know, there are a lot of people that just stay at the complaining. They stay at the like, F this and hate that and blah, blah, blah. But you're very quick at like turning that into fuel for action toward making it better or changing whatever that thing is that you're not happy with a lot of people don't do that well and so maybe that's part of the if i were to train graduate students but doctoral students in particular the most important thing would be resilience yeah because this is a failure business you're gonna send a hundred manuscripts out and right. almost every time it's gonna get murked and smacked and killed 
and it's going to get thrown in your face and you're going to have to question your intelligence and whether you understand the things that you're writing or like you belong in the space, but you have to take it, put it away, bounce back, think critically about how to make it better, engage your community and the people that love you and get back on the horse. And so if you're a person who can't take failure, if you're a person who can't take being angry or sad or upset because of feedback, then you can't exist in a business where constructive feedback and building on what came before you is the norm. The other part of that that I think is important and doesn't get enough recognition is that this doesn't only apply to right professional academic faculty space, but any space that you're going to be in. So as an administrator, I would engage in implementing new processes or talk with people about planning and new ideas. And there are going to be people who disagree with you. There are going to be people who say, no, we should do it this way. And if you can't engage in meaningful conversations with people who disagree with you, whether that's in writing, on paper. It, but, but is that is that engaging in meaningful conversation or is that staying focused? Well, it's both, right? So Because so, I also feel like there's not, one of the things that I find problematic is feeling like people are going to disagree with you and that's okay. And like yeah. you need to be able to maintain your composure. Like that's yes. really a part of it. And so like the composure piece, that's the word I was searching for in that long ass pause that we're going to have to cut. But like, yeah, I feel like a lot of people, as soon as somebody disagrees with them, they lose their composure. But I think it's more than that, particularly as we consider folks who go into graduate school. And I think both, actually, I would say it doesn't matter what age. There's something about being a graduate student that I think promotes collective types of behaviors. And so- you made say, the choice. Well, say more about collective types of behaviors. <laughs> yeah, because I so I have an idea what you're saying, but I don't know the audience. I think that there are things that types of behaviors that students engage in, whether that's positive or not so positive, that outside of a student academic or learning space, they wouldn't do. Oh, you mean so like for example, ADD students who yo, I wasn't even gonna name names. Ooh, nah, nah, that ooh, 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 ooh. I wasn't gonna name names. Well, I have students who are because we have the privilege of teaching graduate students, which is great. I have students who are professional educators who try stuff with me as the professor that they would never let Yo, their students get away with it's at so any level. Wild. Like some of the things that I saw and heard, I was like, you would never do this at your job. And if somebody did this to you at your job, you would report them to HR. You would be livid. And somehow, because you're a student in this class, you think it's okay. Now that I've had some time to sit back from some of those encounters, it's just a really interesting thing to observe. And so I, I was going to say generationally, but it's not. I think there's something about being a graduate student, whether it's feeling like I'm paying for something and I, this is what I deserve in, in return, or there are folks who are legitimately and genuinely interested in like learning and growing and developing. And Yeah, it's not fair. So I would amend, I wouldn't say just EDD students, even though that's no, my most not, recent experience. not at all. Yeah, because it's definitely... Undergrad, masters, this doctoral. Is board, right? yeah, it's it's every, something about being a student. <laughs> law students. <laughs> it's, a, it's about being a student. And so I think that, you know, if we're thinking about this as advice for graduate students, it's great that you want to engage in change, particularly for social sciences, like education or counseling or right, K-12 education. So any of these spaces, social work, right? Public policy. Like there are so many fields where you're going in and ideally, it's to like make things better, either at the individual level, organizational level, macro, national level, wherever it is that you're working at. If as a graduate student, you can't use your safe learning space as an opportunity to think and grow and develop around how you're going to engage in the real world, 
And if any conflict or setback or anything that just makes you feel uncomfortable is immediately labeled as, I'm not going to engage, or I don't like this, or you shouldn't do that. I'm turning my camera off on Zoom. <laughs> I'm going to stay silent. I'm going to withdraw. Oh, well, it's because these people don't understand anything. Uh, I'm going to need you to like take a step back and think about that. And so for all our graduate student listeners, I want you to think about graduate school as like, it's basically an opportunity to to have training wheels on all of your professional development. So you're taking these courses to learn and become an ex, well, more knowledgeable, and some of you will be experts in your area. But also you have faculty and staff and other students in this environment with you. And like at the end of the day, I would say like 97% of faculty, like we just want you to be great. Like we don't want to take you into the program just to have you fail. We don't want you to come here. Oh, we wouldn't have have let you in if we thought you were going to fail. Like we don't want you to have a negative experience. So if something happens, use that as an opportunity for not just your growth, but also to help, right, your department or your program or whatever grows. You know, I'm, I'm a little stuck because this conversation raises something that I don't know that I've articulated cleanly before but it is it's almost like a research question i would love to ask like what is it about graduate school where extremely capable professionals Mm. lose the professionalism that makes them excellent in their everyday job i can't tell you the number of people that i have like students where i know you are amazing you're an award-winning consistent professional Mm -hmm. in all these different spaces but when it's like hey can i get a paragraph on that dissertation proposal, nothing. It like silence. It's amazing to me sometimes how there's just like this gulf or this chasm where it's, and I don't, I'm thinking about it from my side of things as the professor as well, because I don't know what I'm doing wrong where I don't get that dope version of you in the classroom. And so I'm also thinking of like, all right, I know that I wasn't always the best student. Like, I'm not so self-unaware to be like, oh, man, when I was a blah, blah, blah. Like, there are times where I was like, oh, I was skating. Our body dropped Yeah, like, oh, thank God. But when you kind of grow up and you mature and you learn some of the lessons, you take some of the failures, you mess something up, then you you start to bring that version of yourself, the hardworking, resilient push. And so I don't know how to bake that in in a more consistent way for people that need that, for people who need resilience training, for people who need conflict resolution, for people who need like additional support to give them permission to bring that best professional version of themselves to their studies. I mean, shouldn't that, so so when you articulate it that way, my thought is that should be a part of any and every graduate program's core curriculum. Like there should be a, you know, for undergrads now they have like adulting 101 and that's a credit bearing course that you can take. I think for graduate students, we take for granted that that's going to happen somewhere along the way. And instead, I think we should implement it, right? Like make a part of your core curriculum professional development, which means, yo, PowerPoint presentations is a great example because folks will come in and they put paragraphs on slides and then read paragraphs. And I... You would never do this at work. Like... And it doesn't matter where you work. You would never do this at work. Well, some people do. but But even that, right, is here's an opportunity for us to like, help you be better because you where else are you going to learn to do that unless you take the time out to go figure out how to give a good powerpoint presentation lots of people do what they've been doing because that right it's it's autopilot all of us in it this way see i feel like i step in it a lot though because i'm the only one that tells them about themselves and everybody else is telling them that they're great and that makes me the bad guy (laughs) 
<laughs> like I can't tell you the number of times I've had students and like some really excellent students. I can think of names that I won't mention off top who are like, yo, nobody's ever engaged with my writing like that. Or nobody's ever given me pushback. Like they just let me go. And so part of the failure for people to have any kind of like preview for the type of resilience that's necessary to really do good work consistently at the graduate level is also because they don't have any practice. Like if you're above average in most of your classes, your professors aren't sweating you. Like nobody's pushing you to do the best version of work. Mm. They're letting you kind of slide. Like there's a lot of people who've been given A's. Uh, so and that like the whole grade inflation, that's a completely different like derail. Yeah. But there's plenty of people who get to you and it's like, I've never gotten less than an A in my life. It's like, <laughs> and you've been turning in this? Right. That's surprising. Okay. So I think academic criteria is a, a slightly different topic that you're saying. But I think even that is, there isn't enough effort made to get those pieces into the curriculum, right? So the assumption is you get in graduate school, you know how to write a paper. False. Like we know that that's not true. <laughs> and in fact, many students have to unlearn bad habits. And so instead of, I think, either creating these assumptions or what we often do is, well, you'll figure it out along the way or somebody else will teach you. It needs to be a part of the curriculum. That at the end of the day, if our goal is to have students who can read, write, think critically, but also be professionals in their field, then that professional piece has to be embedded into the programming. So if our students don't know how to engage in like difficult dialogue or don't know how to manage conflict, I think it's on us to help them gain those skills. I can see some pathways to that. And I think that that's right in line with the way that I'm revising some of my own courses. So conflict resolution is an easy one, right? Right. I teach equity and diversity courses. The more I teach those courses, the more I realize that most students don't have the emotional strength and they've never really been put in places where they have to reflect out loud in that way. Like they're not ready to do it. And so part of it is, how do I maintain my composure when what I'm hearing is actually offensive to me so that I can continue engaging and I can continue the learning process, right? And so now I can see, okay, I have to build in more conflict resolution stuff up front because they're either just going to disengage completely. And I try to teach students all the time that like silence is loud. That's a form of protest. People can yeah. tell when your decision is I'm opting out of this. I'm not going to pay attention. I'm Whether you're in person or in Zoom. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm above this. I'm beyond this. This conversation below me. This is upsetting me. I'm going to disengage from it. But where and how do you put the professionalism piece into the curriculum? That's what I don't. I struggle with that. So like particular skills, it makes sense. Like, hey, in order to do equity and diversity work the way that I believe it should be done, you have to be able to withstand people saying things that are crazy. Maintain your composure, get back to your point, engage in meaningful conflict resolution. Like that's a very clear set of skills that you need. But right. like professionalism is such a broad idea that it it's difficult to me to be like, all right, which class? How do you infuse that? I mean, it's the same as equity and diversity. It shouldn't just be one class that you're getting. Right. It should be infused throughout the curriculum. So like what do you infuse throughout the curriculum to be like, hey, we expect you to show up here with the same amount of care or actually more care and concern in some cases right. than you show up with at your job? Those are really great questions. <laughs> so I think that there are things that we can do. So like you said, there are some things that are a bit more black and white. Like we can teach conflict resolution. We can teach right how to do a PowerPoint presentation. We can teach public speaking. Like those are things that we can teach. I think the professionalism like DEI work needs to be embedded. And even in our department, we do a little bit of that, right? So there's a contract that 
I think it's our EDD students, at least used to sign about being a professional in this space. And it's treating others with respect. It's engaging fully in the program. It's participating. So it's all of these things, right? We put it in our syllabus. We talk about it on the first day of class and the first week of class where we talk about creating our classroom culture and environment and what are our rules of engagement. Like we do these things. And so part of it is, yes, we should keep doing that. But I think there also isn't enough, just like candid conversation. All of it is in this like structured environment. I don't know how many graduate students get a a real talk, whether it's from advisors or people outside of their academic program. It doesn't pay to be honest. I hate that I've gotten Ooh. there. So I recognize it and it's a painful thing. And what I know is... I'm opening up a new can. But it doesn't always pay to be honest with students because if their reaction is off the chain, and I think anytime that somebody offers you feedback that is intended to be constructive, that you should listen. And even if you don't love it, you don't love the delivery, you should try to find the truth in it and like incorporate that and address it. Mm -hmm. There are students where you offer them that feedback and they take that as an attack and then they try to use their perception of being attacked as something that they're going to hold on to to try to get revenge on you, whether it's in student evaluation, whether it's trying to report you, whether like, and you've been through it. Like what? No, like, can I, I feel like I shared this before, but I'm going to share it again. I hear that. And I I think that, so on a course evaluation from an adult learner, I had a comment that said, what was it? If I wanted to learn about the problems of black people, then I would have taken a class about that. Mind you, that's not at all like in line with anything that I said in the course. And in fact, I was very intentional about what course was it? It was like using data and like leadership or something like that. Yeah, like communication, like communication something, like that. something like that. And part of what I, because this was a really diverse um, student group and they all worked in very different areas. My thing was think about the population that you're serving, whether it's black folks or Latinx folks or rural communities or low, whatever the population is that you serve, think about what their challenges might be and how would you address them? Right. So being equity minded, for your population of interest. What part of that is black people problems? I mean, but if that's... Besides the fact that I'm a black woman and that's all you could see coming out of my mouth. I mean, but if that's what you hear, right? And so I think that that's the... I am a person who, and those who know me know that I'm pretty consistent with the... It takes a certain temperament to do equity work. Because if you pay attention to the world it would be easy to bemoan that we've made no progress despite all this effort. I mean, but we've, made. we've made significant progress, but it's still easy to feel like, oh man, I worked so hard or like we've been pushing <laughs> so crazy at this space to right. try to see things be better and it doesn't feel like it's working. But you have to take a step back, refresh yourself, recharge and get back in the fight. If you're a person who can't deal with that, then like this isn't the work for you. This isn't the space for you. So so do we need to create like a graduate student intake form? I don't know. There needs to be like a spa. At, like. Well, because if you come into graduate school and say you want to do this kind of work, right? And, and there are lots of fields and ways that you can contribute to equity focused work, but you can't meaningfully, again, engage in conversation that Oh, you felt uncomfortable? Yeah, and so you can't now you're get just in, shutting down? Yeah, like, you can't get in the argument. What do you think is waiting for you on the other side of this degree? Like, that's the part that I don't get. Because 
the whole reason that we need to do this work is because everybody doesn't understand it or get it or see the value of it, which is why DI folks, folks who are focused on these issues are necessary. If everybody already agreed and got along, then we wouldn't need DEI work. Well, I think the, that's part of the problem, though, right? So <laughs> we, we bemoan it regularly, right, that people think they understand education because they went to school. Oh. And sadly, there are a lot of people who think they understand equity, diversity, and inclusion work because they are X. <laughs> like, oh, I'm a woman, so I get it. I'm uh, black, so I get it. I'm filling whatever blank, yeah. blank. And it's like, well, actually, you don't get it at all there's a historical context and there are theoretical and conceptual ways that we think about this that turn our attention to certain ways of engaging. And this is how you engage in this space. This is how you engage with this level of learner. There's so many nuances to it, but if you can't get past that initial defense, or if you can't get past somebody says something crazy and you're like, actually, no, that's not it. And I'd like, I'd be gentle with it. There's plenty of time. I had a, a shout out to Deirdre. I wonder what Deirdre's doing these days. She calls it the velvet hammer. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> so like you got to check somebody. You might have to whack them on them real quick, but it's lovingly like, right. hey, I want you to stay in this conversation. But what you're saying is off base. You don't even have to do that. Like just the simple act of disagreeing sometimes is setting some people on these paths. And it's touching some trauma that they had from before that you don't know anything about or nobody ever listens to me. And, woo. and like, come on, man, like it's week two. <laughs> so not week two. <laughs> yeah, like. So if we had to provide grad students with, let's say like three things, this is how you do this work and this is how you can do it and be successful. And not just successful as in getting your degree, because really that's just about persistence and like you don't have to be particularly good to get to the end. I mean, I don't know that I could boil it down, but I, I know that a big part of it is about pride and professionalism, right? So whatever you're proud of, whatever led you to applying, especially to a terminal degree program, and whatever makes you dope enough that people want to accept you to a terminal degree program, because there's that part too. You know, We're not accepting people that we don't think are going to be successful. Yeah. There's going to be a great deal of variance about how people engage once they're in the door, but you know, when we're going through applications, we are expecting, hey, we're putting together a dope cohort. There's going to be people who challenge each other and we learn from as we're teaching them. But whatever it is that you have professional pride in, add school to it. So the the way you would work hard, the way you would stay up nights, the way you would like figure out new ways to engage, the way you would seek help when you needed it. What if people don't engage in those? I know. I, let me let you give your three. But I mean, I but the, but, but I, I think that that's the because if you don't have those things, then what? I think that's the problem. I think a lot of people do a great job at pretending. Mm. So they pretend that they're team players. They pretend that they're problem solvers. They pretend that they're go getters. They pretend that they care about equity and diversity. I was like, no, you care about winning arguments and whatever little fiefdom you can create so that you feel powerful and important. And that's different. I don't know how to scan for that. So the winning argument part of what you said sticks with me. And I feel like that can be a form of motivation. So <laughs> I like to win arguments. Like I like to be right. I also know that you can't use it as your starting point because that's not always going to get the work done. And I think sometimes the work piece gets left out. Being a graduate student is work. It's not an easy task. It's not a passive activity. Like you have to work at it. And part of that work is also knowing that whatever it is that you decide you want to do is going to take effort. 
and it's going to be uncomfortable and you're going to have to change and adjust and grow and things may not go your way. That doesn't mean that it's not worth engaging. Even now, I am no longer fully employed by our. Uh, oh, you I hear we got to change the name of the podcast. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I but I, I still have my. What is it called? Courtesy appointment. My courtesy appointment. Well, I mean, you're still doing work, so it doesn't and, yeah, really matter. And I'm still doing work. Yeah, like and your, so your primary employment is different. My primary employment is different, but I'm still committed to this is a, an environment that I care about. Like, this is a space that I care about. There are people here that I care about. You better your baby daddy work there. <laughs> and so I'm still going to engage because I want it to be better because I care about it. Too many people, I think, come into graduate school thinking, oh, well, we just want things to be fixed now. I think that that's another, and I don't want to derail too much, but I think that's another problem because people want you to engage, but they want you to engage the way that they engage. And so if I'm a person who believes a great example for me is like black feminist thought, there are people who swear that they have black feminist thought backing to the way that they think, but they leave out the collective uplift and the coalition building part of it. That's in there. That's oh, that's okay. part of black feminist no, yeah, thought. They want to do that. Yeah. You can't sit with us. Exactly. So if you're like, well, I don't want to talk to any white people, but black feminist thought is the basis of the way that I engage. And I'm like, yo, fam, like that's actually not it. But then you're more upset at, well, why didn't you say this? Or why didn't you do that? Or why didn't you back me up when I was acting crazy in such and such meeting? I was like, well, because I thought you were acting crazy and that's not the way that I engage. <laughs> I would not right? like that. that. Yeah. And emotions matter. Right. So if you make people feel stupid or if you make people feel separate or if you make people feel like they're not part of the solution, then that's what they will comfortably be. It also completely ignores like progress in the history of the world, because nothing has ever happened because like one person solo dolo did it by themselves. You need people to help you get things done. Any of the civil liberties that we gained in this country were through coalition building and it hasn't been a perfect process far from perfect but there has been progress imagine that your physical resilience leads to you being an enslaved underclass <laughs> forever and the vestiges of that chattel slavery are still being fought against in society hundreds of years later like that's where we're at we're still there whenever i do my review of history and it's like oh black people are oppressed they remain oppressed because we still have the same mindsets about blackness that people had when they first started bringing slaves to the colonies. Don't mix with them. They'll pollute your blood. Don't hang out with them. Don't live in the same areas. They are not as smart. I mean, they are not as good. Right? Like it's literally the same has a dope marketing campaign. This idea has persisted throughout the course of our history. That's some strong marketing. But even like real science, I presented at this thing called like the Provost Colloquium or something like that. Oh. And it always tickles me because like actual scientists who read science still <laughs> do it. It's like, like I don't understand why these those people, people keep failing. We have no idea why. It's so puzzling. Yeah. And it's what? like, oh, so if just by virtue of having black skin, you have less access to material wealth, economic support, you're more likely to generationally be in a lower socioeconomic status, which is like equivalent to caste systems in other places, right? To like, face racism daily. 
Yeah, and to have assumptions about your ability. And it's it's this weird kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, you know what? I've never seen a black professor before. It must be because black people aren't good at being professors. And it's this weird logic wheel that people end up in. Yeah. And I get, as a graduate student, there are ways that can feel like this environment disempowers you. And that sucks. But this is also, I think, a great time because you are a student, but like you're not an undergrad, that you can meaningfully contribute to change. And so like, I think the professionalism, like you were saying, and like taking pride in your work, I think really looking at coalition building and partnering with people to advance change. But also this is a time and space where you're allowed to (laughs) speak up, right? Like you're allowed to, I think, intelligently critique what you see as things that can be changed for the better. And like, that's awesome. But if all you're doing is just alienating people because you just want to be angry or disengaged or you feel like you're owed something. Yeah, or gossiping or spreading hatred or... That's not going to get the job done. I feel like we could do like seven of these. (laughs) Oh, we definitely can. So yeah, I don't think we solved the graduate student problem, but I think we... I mean, it's part one of what will certainly be an ongoing series because I think one of the services of being in this space and like authentically wanting people to be successful, like I think we have an obligation to talk about like what we're seeing and what the possible pathways to making things better are. And it's kind of our job. Like It's kind of what we do. <laughs> I do this. Yeah. But yeah, with that, appreciate y'all and going to close up another episode of the parents and professors podcast thanks for listening peace